Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One. Welcome back. It's been a little bit of a hiatus after the 2022 NBA draft wrapped up. We said, you know what? You've probably been listening to way too many draft podcasts. Let's give you a quick break here. But it's July. It's the middle of the month here. FIBA U17 World Games are in the rearview mirror. And that's a great forward look ahead to some names that are going to be in the 2024 and 2025 NBA draft. So we figured nobody better to come in here and chat about the Americans and how they really showed out in that tournament, winning another gold medal. Then Jake Rosen, if you're looking for Jake, he is on Twitter at Jake in the paint. So if he's not out in, in Las Vegas, if he's not going around to all of these AAU events, he's in the paint. Jake, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I love that intro. Um, maybe not in the paint as much as I used to be, uh, I, I guess. Some floaters at the top of the paint kind of counts, but thank you for having me. Uh, U17 was a lot of fun. As you said, it's been a little hectic. Mark and I took a similar hiatus just because I was like, I can't even talk about this anymore. I need a mental break. So that was relatable, but I'm happy to be here and talk U17, a tournament that I had a ton of fun watching. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, I know you went out to Vegas for what, two or three days. Is that right? Yep. How was it out there? How was the vibe? Like, what did you enjoy? Yeah. I mean, it was just my favorite part. It was super cool meeting everyone. I, I was, I told a couple people, I felt uh, the storyline of my trip to Vegas, at least, was you introduce yourself. And then someone's like, oh, I follow you on, I think I follow you on Twitter. Um, so it was really cool to put um, faces to names. Obviously, you know, use Twitter and draft Twitter, especially a lot going back to 2019, especially during quarantine 2020. Uh, so it was really cool to meet and catch up with some people that you've been conversing online with for even a couple of years now. And uh, finally, even coworkers, some some people from last summer, some people I've met over the year or have conversed with over the years and was finally able to meet in person. It was a great experience. Yeah, I'm I'm upset I wasn't able to get out there, but yeah. you know, a lot of other things going on Had our own team to coach here and different showcases and events to get to. So been uh, unfortunate that I wasn't able to join you out there. But like, what was the best thing that you saw or did? while you were out in Vegas, was it anything games related? Was it just like, Hey, you know, I'm going and I'm, I'm staying on 16 every time. Like what, what was the best? Thing <laughs> so I'm unfortunately not 21. So uh, there's no gambling for me there. I would just say the best part is just like, I, what I thoroughly enjoyed and was kind of reminiscent of like an AU tournament or, or something like that. I'm just flipping back and forth between Cox and Thomas and Mac. Like if, if the game wasn't good in one arena, you could just walk right over to the other. Um, and just how accessible a lot of people were and willing to meet up. I found that really cool. You could practically DM or anyone that you, you kind of were mutuals with and say, Hey, you want to meet outside on the concourse in a couple of minutes. And you could, I mean, no conversation any too small or too small too long um kind of just picking people's brains and at the very least getting to shake hands and put a face to everything so i think those are probably the two things i enjoyed the most yeah it's it's i'm sure it was a great time pretty hot pretty humid all of those <laughs> yeah that, that's that was my least favorite part uh, <laughs> for sure but i'm glad you got out there and, and look yeah. for all of the the listeners that are looking for some commentary on summer league and, and those rookies things aren't wrapped up yet you know, we're kind of the midpoint of summer league right now as we're recording this, maybe a little bit farther past that. So I think we're going to wait until all that stuff gets in the rearview mirror to really unpack and, and, and go through the results that we've seen from summer league for first, second, and maybe a couple third year players. But today, you know, we are completely done with that U17 tournament that happened over in Spain, uh, wrapped up last weekend, and the United States took home gold 
in the U17s, which they've done every single year for the last decade or so. Like it's just, it, they don't lose games. The talent that we have is, is incredibly, incredibly um, advanced athletically and, and it shows in an environment like that. But we always are, and I know Jake does a great job of looking forward at the, the next few drafts, right? Not just what's in front of us with 2023, but the 2024, 2025, the top end guys and trying to get a valuation of where they're at. NBA teams are doing this as well because future scouting is really important when you as an organization or a general manager are sitting down and trying to decide if you want to package some future, future first round picks in a deal to get somebody else, because you got to have a really good understanding in the future, what the value of that first round pick is. So with the U17 team, again, we're going to go over some of the best performers on the U S team, but try to frame it in an NBA draft context, right? The skills, the traits that they've seen that we've shown what it's going to take for them to succeed in the NBA. Jake, let's just toss it over to kind of the first guy who I think has been uh, somebody buzzing the most since coming out of this. And, and it's somebody that is probably the farthest away when it comes yeah. to NBA draft work right now. It's Cooper flag, the kid out of Maine. Like what's your thought and your takeaway watching a 15 year old playing up in U 17s doing what he did. Yeah. I mean, Cooper is amazing. Like the cat's fully out of the bag now and I, I couldn't be happier for him and the whole state of Maine. I saw a bunch of people, the easiest way to get a bunch of retweets. I found is to tweet about Cooper Flag, and he has fans and fans and a boy is made proud of him, but as they should be. Um, my favorite, favorite part about Cooper's uh, performance in U17 is like just the malleability with the role that he was able to play. Um, I wrote about Cooper a couple of months back. PD has been telling me about him for a while. So I have to give him his props. Like I did not stumble upon this kid, but I wrote about him playing U like U15 with main United in the UIBL. And he does a lot of creation transition handling, um, a kind of a high post hub, still a great passer, great handler. And I think he tried to do some creation stuff in FIBA. I think we can talk about it kind of had mixed results, shot like 41% from, th from two. If I remember, I do think the, the frame kind of showed there a little bit, but he was still able to be very effective on offense, just being a scrappy play finisher, knock down some threes, crash the offensive glass super hard, just showed off his instincts being an absolute ball hawk whenever there was a 50-50 ball on that end. But obviously the defense is like the calling card. Um, just an absolute monster, six, eight and a half, can switch and guard anyone, uses his length and standing reach to its absolute most functionality. Um, super instinctual and smart, does a great job of rotating on a string with his other defenders, isn't necessarily late or reactionary, but, but is rather actually executing the scheme, which these are all wild things to say about someone who was, uh, I'm blanking on either him or Koa being younger, but one of the two youngest players on the court uh, every single game they played. So the ways in which he excels and the room he has to grow, it's a pretty brain-breaking proposition this early in the process. Yeah, I mean, six foot seven, like decent uh, decent <clears throat> strength for his size. I think he's going to continue to fill out as any 15-year-old will, right? Not, not a finished product physically by any means, but again, the defensive productivity off the charts. In seven games that he played in the, the World Games over there in Malaga, he had at least three blocks in five of them. He had three or more offensive rebounds in all of them. And he had in the uh, gold medal game, four blocks and eight steals. I mean, just insane productivity on the defensive end of the floor, which 
one of the questions that I had coming into this tournament, and, and I'll be honest here, I've watched Cooper a little bit coming into the tournament, um, tried to recruit him to the school that I coach at last year. So, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely bound for better things than what we were able to offer him here yeah. at BL, but um, really impressed by the defensive activity that he has. And, and the question for me was, okay, now we see a little bit more size, a little more strength, a little more athleticism. What's his natural position? Because he's at six, seven, you're not necessarily a big guy when you step on the floor with other six, 10, six, 11, seven footers. And he doesn't jump off the page as a lateral athlete to be somebody who's guarding the quickest, fastest guys on the perimeter. He looked fine to me. I don't know if you had a, a different take about natural positions where he guards. Like yeah. at the end of the day, he's productive and he makes things happen as a help defender. But on ball, like where do you see him being best fit? I mean, I think he can guard wings on the ball. And like that's where I see him on offense. Like I see this kid as a long-term wing. Yeah. That the handling and process and smarts that he possesses at this point in the game mixed with some shot creation and some downhill slashing ability. And I think those will only grow as he continues to continues to build out his frame. Like he, that screams a wing to me. And I, I trust him laterally uh, against those wings. And that like, I'm not sure maybe just switch him on to my point guard with absolute ease, but I, I think he's someone who can absolutely slide and body up and wall off other guys, uh, especially when it comes to wings. So I don't have a ton of worries about him like laterally, I mean, I think the biggest concern coming from this tournament would just be the strength and how it affects his creation and, and like just him getting bumped off spots and not being able to get sh that straight downhill with as much ease as he was when he was playing against guys of his own age group. But that's to be expected. And I think that's if we're talking about fixable issues, like I think that's relatively fixable. He's making all the right reads. He's making all the right decisions, which I would say is the hard stuff. And now he just has three to four years to fill out his frame and continue to build out that offensive repertoire, which is already pretty damn good right now. So uh, Cooper is an absolutely fascinating prospect. I enjoy watching him to the fullest and an absolute gem for USA basketball. He had a, a great tournament. He was named to the all-tournament team. I think a lot of people out there think that he was a little bit of a snub uh, when it comes to not being MVP because uh, it was given to somebody from Spain who was on the silver medalist team. And, and that's you know atypical a little bit. You want to you most frequently see somebody from the gold medal team coming away with MVP honors, but I digress there. Uh, you know, you mentioned that he and Koa Pete, both two of the younger guys, he is about a month older than Koa who yeah, yeah, that's what blow in my mind here. Koa was born in January of 2007. Like nothing's making me feel older than the years flying by and seeing the birth dates on some of these kids here uh, real quickly. Any thoughts on Koa? Yeah, I, I think Koa is extremely skilled and like obviously a very gifted physical athlete. And I think that's what jumps off the page. I mean, the ability for him. So he's the youngest player on Team USA and probably I'm going to go and say the youngest player on most of the games they played. And for him to still be able to bully opponents like that and displace them off their spots as a slasher, um, really good as a finisher has good defensive versatility just because of the way he's able to move at that size and can go chest up with bigger players, can slide alongside smaller guys. I mean, I think that versatility on that end was really um, evident, especially in the scheme that USA wanted to play. And uh, I do have some concerns of him on offense. Like I think as opposed to Cooper, like I think he has the physical tools to be successful right now and does on multiple occasions, but I, I don't, I'm not sure this counters are there just yet. Like I, he does flash some handling and transition, but a lot of times it felt like he was just going to lower that shoulder and try to power through you, um, which is understandable given how imposing of an athlete he is and how it does work on, on occasion. But I think the wing skills are a little bit further 
a way than I expected, I want to say, uh, especially the shot. The shot, a nice little touch uh, with the FIBA tools is that, or with the FIBA basketballs, is that you can see the rotation a lot easier um, because it's kind of multicolored. And uh, his ball was not spinning a lot. So <laughs> we can kind of leave it at that. But still, uh, you know, a fascinating athlete in, in terms of strength and fluidity and he's so young. So I, I, I feel so nitpicky to be super critical, critical, but uh, I mean, it's a crazy race uh, atop those 2025 rankings. So if we're going to talk about these guys, all like special prospects kind of have to treat them as such. So I think him and Cooper kind of have opposite issues and it's just a matter of which you gravitate to developmentally, which is a fascinating uh, race for the next few years. And I think more than that too, like, a lot of people want to ask coming out of a tournament like this, Oh, who's going to be the number one pick in the draft? Who, yeah. Who's you know standing out there? Like it's still way too early to try to put those oh my God. It, because these guys have like two, three years of development ahead of them before we get to that point. And it's going to be a lot about how their bodies fill out, who gets a little bit taller, like both Koa and Cooper are listed about six, seven right now. Like Koa's game is probably a little bit more physical and more um, predicated to, if he puts a couple itches on, I think that's really good for him. Cooper, if he adds a little bit more height, like that doesn't necessarily fundamentally change the way that he plays. Um, so it, again, how these guys fill out physically, whatever tools they're able to add into their toolbox is incredibly important. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of how that, that comes down there. Two younger guys, but again, a little bit too soon to be talking about yeah. how this might translate uh, for yeah. draft purposes. No, I think I'm just in the stage of uh, sitting back and enjoying it right now. Uh, obviously taking notes, understanding where they need to grow and then tracking that growth over the next few years because it seems like we'll have a front seat to both of their developments, which is super fun. And I, I just think it's really cool to have reliable data points this early um, where I think there's a very big difference between uh, putting too much pressure on a kid and declaring them as the next big thing. Whereas also like this is U17 tournament. This is a very competitive tournament worldwide. And to have seven games and we can <laughs> vary about how competitive and worthwhile all those games are, but a few games and a few quarters of high level competitive basketball against some of the um, world's best. It's a super cool data point to have uh, to collect for two 17 or two 15 year olds. I mean, uh, who appear to be towards the top of their class and, and um, are high level prospects going forward. Well, I, I want to move the conversation now into a couple of the guys that I was just most impressed by on, on mm -hmm. Team USA there. And for me, probably relative to expectations coming in, I thought Jeremy Fears was yeah. fantastic. Um, I love the way that he plays. I think he's just a natural with the ball in his hands, showed a lot of toughness, athleticism. Like I see that meme going around or whatever on the internet of the x-ray of the skeleton with a puppy. <laughs> yes. like, to me, that's yeah, Jeremy that's, Fears. To that's his fierce, team. He's He's got that dog in him. Jake, what's your take on, on Jeremy from watching him play? Ah, he was awesome. And like everything I expected to, like, I don't want to say, because uh, you, I guess yours is relative to expectations. Like no one is perhaps built for a USA event like this, more like Jeremy Fears, um, where shooting is going to be pushed to the side a little bit because you're going to be able to overwhelm with just defensive presence and quickness and tools and instincts and I mean, he was just incredible. I tweeted this morning, what if I told you USA's second best off-ball defender? Like, not just rim protector, off-ball defender other than Cooper was Jeremy Fierce. Uh, he did offer some secondary rim protection, which is pretty wild from a 6'1 guard. But when he was one pass away, just so accurate and effective with digs and stunts and rotations, I, he's just an absolute 
master of what he does. I mean, yeah, his game is, is not bulletproof and he does have some holes, most notably the shooting, which uh, I think needs a little bit of work mechanically. Uh, super two and a half motion. Um, just not really, it doesn't really flow, but he takes them, which uh, more power to him. Offensively, I loved his ability to get to the rim in both in transition and in the half court. And I, I think that paid huge dividends for Team USA. Uh, although then I think, I like DJ a lot, but we're going to talk about DJ like DJ, whether it was the lineup, whether it was him struggled to get all the way to the rim a little bit. I thought he did a really good job of beating his point of attack defender, but just didn't quite have the counters when it got to that second level. Again, like I don't think the lineup optimized him as much. And I think fears benefited from running to, with the second unit uh, more than DJ did running with the first. But I think there were certain process things that fears excelled at. And, and I, DJ kind of left me wanting a little bit more. And so I think fears his ability in the half court to get all the way to the rim and not only finish himself, but put the defense in rotation and get some ball moving for guys to attack. Because um, I think the U S is offensive possessions in the half court. were probably the most telling sample of the entire tournament. Like if you're going to watch some set of clips, like go watch that um, against a set defense, a, a team that, and I'm kind of writing a thing for Cerebro. I'm about the U 17 and, and you know, I haven't spoken to any of the coaches or anything like that, but it seems pretty clear. And I think as a coach yourself, you would probably agree with this, that they kind of sacrificed some offensive firepower in exchange for the defensive prowess. And which is totally understandable. And it worked in their favor. Um, they were able to run out, run out teams with their press. And even in uh, the gold medal game, it wasn't quite clicking. I was telling this to someone else uh, yesterday after I rewatched it, you know, they were pressuring, they were pressuring and Spain was able to weather it until just that one moment, like in the third quarter, it cracked. And then when it cracked, or did the floodgates open? And I think that's what that team was meant to do was just apply pressure, apply pressure, apply pressure. And then once it broke with some lineup configuration, like it was Spain just was all over the place. And U.S. had like a 15-0 run. Yeah. I mean, you look at USA as a whole, what's the comparative advantage that the team has in, you know, standing next to everybody else? It's Absolutely. our athleticism. It's the size. Yep. It's the ability to turn teams over in the full court. And there were some games against teams when, you know, we're up 60 points. And you're wondering, why is USA still pressing? Like, why is Jeremy Fierce stripping this guy and dunking <laughs> yeah. with 30 seconds to go and they're up 60? Like, it's because they want to keep practicing that stuff, yeah. knowing that it's what they need to do in order to win games against teams that might be a little bit more skilled, more executing in terms of their their action, their motions, yeah. how they run offense. Like, there were some pretty good offensive uh, actions. Like, Australia ran awesome stuff throughout the entire week. And the best way to disrupt that isn't to just run great stuff and try to figure out how to fit all of these great pieces together that are all used to being the alpha in their AAU and high school situations. It's to just blitz teams defensively, play in the full court man-to-man in some zone traps and just get up and, and turn up the tempo and the intensity. Yep. And I think, you know, when you're doing that, again, you, I, I'm glad you mentioned what you said about watching the half court clips back, because that's going to be really important about figuring out where these guys' strengths are spacing was was sacrificed without yeah. a doubt there's not a lot of shooters out there on the floor for team usa they didn't need them in order to win and, and you don't need that to that point but to me that makes what jeremy fears did even more impressive as a non-shooter as a guy who thrives on getting to the rim and creating for others he was outstanding and and operating in that little space in the half court to me was just it, it was so good absolutely and i think Maybe, you know, I love Fears. I, I, La Lumiere was my favorite high school team to watch uh, this past year, so I've watched a lot of them. But that's what I – maybe even relative to expectation, like the ease in which he was able to break down defenses yeah. um, exceeded my expectation a little bit. Like, 
Uh, Fears is probably one of my favorite guys to watch in person because you can just pick up on all the mannerisms and uh, let's just say he's wired like that. Absolutely. That meme with the, with the dog in him, that's Jeremy. Um, and obviously the defense is like the defense was, was going to be just incredibly accurate hands, super instinctual, very good athlete uh, at six one and was able to disrupt multiple room attempts, which is just wild. Um, and just, the offense, though, is really what caught my eye and how vital his ability. Like there were a couple skill sets that I would I would say kind of made certain lineups and just made they made Team USA made sense. Like I think David Castillo's shooting was a big part of that. I think Carter Knox's shooting. Um, he didn't always can them, but the willingness as a wing size player to shoot, uh, I think that made a lot of sense. And then fears, uh, just the ability to get into the paint and move defenses. And I found that guys had a lot of success playing off of him and, and the rotations he was able to send the defense into. Yeah, yeah, Castillo definitely knocked down some shots and earned himself some minutes there. And I think that when you're looking at the roster, obviously fears earned his way into the rotation and had to get some minutes in play um, and, and be one of the focal points offensively in terms of his creation for others. I think Castillo coming in at, at that guard spot and being able to knock down shots was important. And then DJ Wagner was kind of the third yeah. piece in that. And, and I think that was evident that, you know, maybe there was this understanding or this thought process of he's such a talented self-creator. He'll find a way to get himself his, like his shot didn't look great throughout the entire week. Uh, and, and like you said, didn't necessarily get to the rim consistently, but lived in the mid range area. You can see the flashes of the isolation play. Like if he gets a guy on an Island, he, he can do some things. There's no doubt about that, but it wasn't the most cohesive of, yeah. uh, of weeks for him where he was able to consistently put it all together. I think he was searching for his spot. I, I don't know about you. I'm not ready to use that as an indictment against him for NBA translation. Like I think that the way that he plays just the, some of the physical gifts and tools, and you're still looking for guys that can be just a, a go-to bucket. Like that's how his game currently presents itself. I do think that there are a couple of things you have to look at about, you know, shooting and, and again, overall separation and decision-making at that second level. But yeah. the end of the day, like this, I think his performance speaks more about fears and about the construction of the team than it does about this big panic button of like, Oh, I, I don't know if Wagner's going to really pan out. Like no. I'm not there yet. There's some things, but those have been there and been evident throughout. It's just, it wasn't the greatest situation for him. Yeah, and, and the FIBA tournament is so interesting because, and again, this is something I wrote, this is perhaps the only context, and we can say AAU teams do this. Not all AAU teams do this. Some do, but it is one of, if not the only context, we see these guys like priority A, B, C, and D is win. Like, we don't care who yeah. you are. We don't care where you come from. We don't owe anyone anything. If you're not going to contribute to this team, you're not going to play. And we're going to just keep searching for the lineups and guys that make the most sense. We're going to cycle through because we have the ability to do that until we find what clicks. And then once we find that clicks, we're going to ride that out until it doesn't anymore. And then we're going to circle a new five. And I think, I don't want to say it was catered more towards what Jeremy does more than to what DJ does. I think DJ was used and I don't think DJ was used as an off ball guard. Um, I, yes, they played him alongside Castillo and Koa is able to initiate a little bit and Ron, Certainly, we're going to talk about him. I think he certainly opened some eyeballs with his offensive ability. Um, but DJ was asked to create from a standstill. Like, Castillo is a viable floor spacer as a guard, but he's not really breaking down the defense like Jeremy Fears or DJ is. Um, he's more of a complementary piece who's going to provide shooting and space to floor. And then we're talking about Koa Pete, Ron Holland, and Sean Stewart. None of, like, Koa 
and Ron, Ron more than Koa can, you know, get to the rim and maybe bend a defense. But neither of the, when those guys drive, they're looking to score. Uh, they're not necessarily making an offense cohesive and then swinging the ball around. So I, I think DJ, I'm not going to say he caught a raw deal, but like uh, those are just the guys he was on the court with playing for the most part. I think he did a really good job of winning at the first level. I think if the shot falls to the ability of shooter, I believe he is. This is an entirely different conversation. And I mean, people remember Kate Cunningham couldn't make a freaking shot at the U19s uh, a couple of summers back. Go look up those shooting splits. Like literally could not make a shot. So I, I, it's one week. I don't want to get too carried away with the sample size, but I, I do think there's one, the one issue that I'm like confident and have pinpointed on film with DJ is the lack of finishing craft. Like I think he has great touch um, in the mid range area with runners. I'm confident in his ability to score there, but in terms of making decisions and you don't see a ton of goofy leg finishes from him. You don't see a ton of hierarchy scoops and he's a six, two guard that's below the rim. You got to work some of those into your repertoire. It can't always be uh, layup line layups uh, or reverses. You got to get a little bit more creative and utilize angles and cut off bigs and, and, get more creative with footwork and things of that nature. So I think that is like one thing that I'm definitely noting uh, for DJ ahead to Peach Jam, but I'm not hitting the panic button uh, by any means. Yeah, no, no, this is, this is by far not a panic button type of of thing to hit there. It's just revealing into what he needs to work on. And I think that doing that in a, in a team context, where not necessarily playing off ball, but he's not ball dominant in the way that he he is in a lot of uh, youth contexts that we might see here it's good to finally reveal what those might be. Yeah. And, and I do think you know, part of me wishes he played a little bit more with a guard, not Castillo. Like part of me wishes it was fears and DJ running a lot because I do think DJ can play off the ball. Like I trust his catch and shoot stuff. Um, and I would like to see him get reps playing alongside other guards. I, I don't necessarily think the most optimized version of DJ is this main creator who you run everything through. I do trust the jumper and I do trust his ability to play off ball. And I was kind of hoping that in the setting, he would be utilized as like a little bit of a second side attacker who, who could attack swings and attack closeouts, maybe run a second side action because at Camden and scholars, like it's all DJ, all DJ, always, always, always. Um, and he's very good. I like him. I I'd probably have him number one in the class still between him and probably Ron Holland, but you're, I was hoping that USA would kind of shift him towards a different role. And I kind of felt like I was watching scholars DJ just with less floor spacing kind of a thing um which was unfortunate but obviously understood like their goal again the goal of team usa is not to make dj wagner look good it's to win the gold medal and they did that so who who am i to say anything yeah yeah well you mentioned ron holland too being somebody else at the top of the class i was pretty impressed by ron Uh, i've always been high on him just athletically and the tools that he brings to the table i think that a setting like this in terms of applying pressure defensively being a little bit more run and jump and like it fits him to a T he's a guy that loves to play in transition. Uh, what, what did you see from Ron in terms of improvement areas and, and what really impressed you from him? Yeah, it's typical round stuff when it, when it comes to being a defensive switch, Swiss army knife, you know, switching between like, I, you gotta start with it. We always love to talk about contacts until we don't. And you started like this probably benefited Ron as much as it benefited anyone. Um, not necessarily the spacing in the half court, but in terms of we're going to switch everything defensively, we're going to full court press, we're going to spend a third of our offensive tr- possessions in transition. Sounds like something Ron Holland would enjoy and look very good in, and he did. Mm-hmm. And I think. The defensive stuff was there, um, especially in the press. I thought he did a lot of good things, like mainly towards the top of that. Um, and then, of course, as a transition handler, grabbing and going, transition, uh, all 
always makes his money in there. The stuff I really like was the shooting. Uh, he was stroking it. And they weren't just makes. Like He was taking them with no hesitation, shot ready, um, comfortable off the dribble. And as a slasher, I-, I liked some of the things he did getting downhill in transition. Had a really nice end one in the gold medal game um, from a standstill. Showed some things earlier in the week against lesser competition. And those were kind of the strides I was looking for from Ron. Uh, During the high school season, I was pretty much cemented in him being the number one player in that class after watching him with Duncanville a few times. Um, And then AAU, he didn't have the best summer and DJ kind of just showed out. So that flipped the scale a little bit for me. But him, like I think Ron is making the transition slash has made the transition into a full stop wing um, rather than being like this combo four forward uh, last summer and earlier, which is a huge development. So getting a, being able to get to the rim consistently and then knocking down jumpers off the catch and off the bounce, that was probably the biggest development for me, uh, for anyone on this U.S. team. I mean, he was five of 10 from three in the knockout rounds, which are the final three games that the team USA played in, which incredibly, incredibly important for his long-term trajectory. I think being a big wing is not just important in the sense that it gives us clarity as to what type of offensive role he can continue to evolve in, but the NBA and where the game is going right now is more of a blurred line between the three and the four yeah. and the ability to play in both roles, the ability to be like, I look at guys like Harrison Barnes, Tobias Harris, Keegan Murray, like not necessarily saying that Ron has that offensive skill or policy. He's way behind all those guys in terms of his, his self-creation right now. But positionally, those guys are linchpins to rosters because they can do so many different things on the floor and you can commit to playing different styles on both ends as a result of having them. And that's what's so important with roster construction, which is why you want to tip your hat a little bit to having somebody like Ron maybe get a uh, you know, half step above a guy like DJ Wagner, who, you know, more of a, a single hole that he fills on your roster type of guy. Yeah. You absolutely hit the nail on the head. And, and that's the part where I'm so infatuated. Ron is at his peak. He's a scalable superstar. Like if he runs his offense, great. If he doesn't, and you just want him to space and, and attack closeouts and run DHOs and any actions that are, are going to get him downhill and you're able to leverage his strength and, and stride length and, all that stuff, and then just be a defensive menace. Cool. He can do that too. Like, and I think those kind of guys really thrive, especially in the U17 context, like your ability to play multiple roles, because uh, that's going to change no matter who you're alongside of uh, on the court. Like some lineups needed more shooting. Some lineups needed more ball handling. Some lineups needed more people to guard smalls. And I think those challenges that get presented on a possession by possession basis because of the abundance of talent that the USA team is able to throw out. That's one of the really fascinating parts of this to me. Um, And I think Ron was able to slide between those scales and check as many boxes as pretty much anyone uh, on both ends of the floor. And the offensive improvement, which I know we've talked a little bit about here in terms of role and, and, and growth is great. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who cuts his teeth on the defensive end. Like he is, it's hard to overstate how impactful he is at his age. And and yes, it looks great in comparison to some of the other athletes that he goes against, but he's pretty instinctual. He's very, very active on the ball. And, uh, and and he creates, he creates transition plays, which is, is valuable in in a lot of contexts. I think we tend to not think enough about how important it is to, you know, teams are more efficient in transition guys who not just thrive in, getting in transition, but create the opportunities for their team to get there are valuable. And, and that's where Ron is, is really, really good. Just a special type of defender. 
Yeah, Ron's going to turn defense into offense uh, pretty much at every level. And, and I think we're talking about – we talked about how Fears is wiring and glossed over it on Cooper a bit. Like, <laughs> watching Ron after an and one or something like that, I mean, it's absolutely awesome. I, kn- I knew – I know he catched he caught some flack from uh, the Spanish Twitter after yeah. the gold medal, but uh, he's a competitor, man. Like he, he's an absolute competitor, and I mean that was about like a twelve day beef that started in the scrimmage and then uh, finished at the gold medal game when they basically uh, had an away game for the gold medal, which which I thought was a pretty crazy experience. I enjoyed watching that game with the sound on. Like crowd was really crazy and a pretty wild experience for some seventeen year olds and, and fifteen year olds. But yeah, Brown's an absolute competitor. Like he's gonna get after it on ev- on every possession on both sides of the floor. And I liked his cutting as well. I thought he had a couple really good cuts and made an impact off the ball. So again, just another micro skill that can bode wealth of playing alongside basically anyone. And so if he's gonna be able to continue to shoot it at this trajectory, most specifically the volume. Like I love that they're going in. Absolutely, got to go in and showcase some proficiency. But he was about as trigger happy as i can remember him which is a very good sign yeah he was taking about three of them a game uh which again for for who he is or has shown he has been in the past that's that's a good development there Uh, but if we're going to talk about three pointers we got to talk about ian jackson a little bit because early on in the tournament like that guy was molten hot and obviously his minutes reduced as we got a little bit higher into competition and playing some of the the metal games there but uh, nobody caught fire like Ian Jackson did for the first couple of games there in the group stages. Um, one of the things that's interesting about him, I believe with his birthday, he is one of those guys that is eligible to maybe reclass and move up into an earlier, not just college season, but an earlier NBA draft. Um, you may have to, to fact check me on that one there, but it, it is something that I believe either is a possibility for him. And, and we're seeing it frequently like today, well, it was a Gigi Jackson made the decision or, or at least is kicking the tires around trying to reclass and move up a year to get to college. There have been plenty of guys who have done it with varying levels of success. Sorry, Imani Bates, don't want to bring it up, but like it, it's a decision that guys are starting to make a little bit more frequently when they're mentioned in that top prospect type of build. So I wanted to make sure that I got Ian Jackson, not just in the conversation here, but a good look at him knowing that that could be a possibility for him within the next couple of years. I think he's slated to be in the 25 draft and might be eligible in 24. What, what, what say you? Yeah. So I think I have him at February 14, 2005. So I think that that would put him as eligible, right? Because he would be 19. Yeah. He would be 19 in 2024. Um, so he guess I guess he is technically able um, to be a 2023 high school kid. So I don't know. Ian seems to have made some strides as a three-point shooter. Um, it was an inconsistent part of his game, uh, to say the least. Like, I'm still not enthralled with the mechanics, but if they go in, then they go in. Um, who am I to say any different? So I think this is a development that I'm, like, very fascinated by. Um, if he's able to knock down catch-and-shoot threes, impact the game as a cutter, and put his tools to work there, how do you feel about his handle and uh, creation? You know, I viewed him more as an off-ball type of guy in this turn. I think that was how they, they really wanted to use him. I don't think that there were a lot of moments where his handle was really on display. I think that he, and whether this is handle or athleticism, I'm not necessarily sure. He is a guy who is very good above the rim when he has a runway. 
And, you know, there are some guys who are nifty with the, the bounce. They're really just explosive off of a single leg. They don't need a stride or two to gather to get up. They're just bouncy in traffic. I don't know if I see Ian being that guy right now. Uh, and again, it's hard to know if that's handle related or if that's kind of athletically or, or functionally something about how he's built right now. Yeah, no, no, no. definitely an interesting comparison. I liked him in more of an off-ball role. Like that is kind of where I envision him, which is why the spot of three itself is so crucial. Um, Big time athlete when he was able, as you said, to get a runway, whether that be as a cutter or just flanking in transition, when he had time and space uh, to level up and get above the rim, definitely an athlete. Um, I worried about him more in the half court in terms of creation and making the most of those small gaps, as we talked about, that the American handlers kind of had to work with when they got settled into the half court. I don't think that particular aspect of the team building um, was very kind to him and definitely something I'm monitoring forward. But yeah, the shooting was, as you said, like uh, about a big of an individual uh, development in this particular tournament, as you could ask from someone. And I think definitely was very crucial to him and his projection moving forward. So shot the lights out early in the tournament, um, did his role, did what he had to do, um, played his role nicely. And yeah, I think he had a good showing. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think good is the right word for it. Uh, improved his stock in some ways, but again, somebody to watch long-term as being perhaps a, not necessarily a reclass, but a guy who makes a decision to jump sooner if he uh, if he has another big year coming up in high school. Uh, anybody else that you want to hit on here? Uh, I'm not, uh, like, I, I know Carter Knox had a couple of, of moments, like uh, Boogie, you know, was, yeah. was an interesting guy. Who do, who do you want to talk about? Um, we can talk about both these guys. I'll start with Boogie Flynn because I think he had like the third least amount of either yeah shots taken, and especially considering he's a shot creator and shot maker, uh, it kind of the by short leads you to believe he didn't have that big of an impact. But I would disagree. Like every time I turned on the film, and Boogie is someone I had priors on and like, and definitely was keeping my eye out for. So maybe I'm subjecting myself to some bias, but I just felt he made plays. Like if they needed a big catch and shoot three, he was able to step right in, had a, had a really big pull up three in semi-transition. One of the games hit a very big three in the gold medal game, him and Carter Knox back to back, actually, that kind of blew the game open. Uh, I really liked his defense, despite a super slender frame at like six, three, I thought he had great hands and was very active in the press, um, had a couple pick pockets in the half court, uh, kind of just made plays, like made his presence known. You know, whenever he was out there, I felt that he made a play. And it sounds simple and cliche, but it's easy when you're as on a team that has this much talent that USA did to kind of come in the game and just go with the flow and not do anything bad, but not really move the needle either way. Like I felt boogie, um, made his presence known whenever he was on the floor and kind of flash what makes him an intriguing long-term prospect with uh, the defensive chops and shot creation, which I thought was super valuable. Uh, definitely need him to get to the rim a little bit more, but um, I think that's more of a long-term thing. He's super young for the class of 2025. I think he is only 15 uh, despite being, or despite being class of 2024. So someone who's super young, but definitely has some creation juice and some shot making stuff. And uh, I thought made the most of his minutes whenever he was on the court. Sure. Um, you know, one other guy, I think Sean Stewart, like yeah, pretty good on the defensive end, like still needs a lot of work from the perimeter offensively and just his comfort there. Like I'll be interested. I know he's committed to Duke. That'll be an interesting type of setup because Duke has traditionally gotten more like maybe two front court guys that they try to play together. Maybe one of them's more of a stretch and one of them's more of an interior, but 
I think at his size and, and kind of position there, be fascinating to see how things pair out with a Duke front court in terms of getting him ready and comfortable for, uh, for NBA spacing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how did you feel about his offense? Not great. Uh, like I thought his best impact came on the defensive end, which is again, fine for the, the term that we had. And, and he lived a little bit on some dump downs on the, on the interior, which, you know, when you have as many scores as team USA has, it's fine. Uh, but like, I wasn't blown away by Stewart by any means. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you. I mean, really good performance all around from some of these guys. I think, you know, putting a bow on this entire thing here, Cooper was breathtaking in moments. Uh, Cooper flag had, had some just amazing rotations on the defensive end and really put his stamp on this entire team in the tournament was kind of the, the glue that held a lot of those pieces together. I think fears was outstanding with the ball in his hands we saw a lot of development and growth from a guy like Ron Holland. And at the end of the day, just athleticism, toughness, uh, size, and the ability to turn up the intensity and tempo on teams really won out. But long-term, what's going to be the, the important piece for all of these guys is how they continue to exist in the half-court setting because that's where the NBA game is played. Uh, college is a little bit less, but it's still a very half-court driven game. And the great part about FIBA isn't just seeing them, you know, play against other really good competition, but how do they mesh with other great talent when they share the floor in a rotation with them? And, and I think the biggest thing to take away from me when we're looking at this class or two classes together is, okay, if they all have to share floor and share minutes and, and trying to find their ideal roles, who sacrifices for who and in what contexts. And, uh, and that's a really good data point to have moving forward. Absolutely. And I think that's the kind of lens that I was adopting. It's just, it's a really unique context in, in the sense that you're going to be asked to either do certain things or even play as, as like, even and sometimes plays a different archetype of yourself. Like Cooper became a defensive specialist. That's not what he is in 15U. Like, let's not get it twisted. Cooper is extremely skilled and is like a legit offensive creator. Yep. Uh, it didn't really work for him in U15. And he just said, I'm going to be the absolute best defender on the court at all times. And was just an absolute dominant force, both in the, in the press and in the half court. Um, so it's seeing guys adopt certain roles and mold, as you said, mold alongside other talent. Like I find that stuff so fascinating. And uh, of course, it, seeing them win the gold in Spain in that type of environment was super rewarding. So um, I think a, a very successful tournament for USA basketball, there were a lot of murmurs about, Spain and France's roster, which I held up to be ridiculously talented. Yeah. Um, I don't think this was necessarily a cakewalk for the Americans by any means, uh, especially considering the cold medal game was against Spain in Spain. <laughs> it's a pretty hostile environment for a, a bunch of high school kids. But I, I thought as a fan, you know, it's I always enjoy watching FIBA. I think it's a ton of fun. And, and I think as an evaluator, there are definitely some things to take away. Like, are, are there things that you need to temper a bit and you need to inject some context into, uh, I guess, certain aspects of it. Absolutely. But I think there's a very fine line between it being allowing it to just be a source of takeaways for everything and then having no takeaways. Like I, I definitely think um, there's some avenues which you can pluck some valuable yeah. points out. No doubt about it. Well, Jake, again, anytime you want to come in here and talk <laughs> you basketball, you want to yeah. talk about anything in the youth ranks. I know you and I both spend a decent amount of time around the high school game, just, watching and observing everything we can at the top levels. But thank you for coming on here to the podcast. Let the people know 
Where can they find you? What do you have going on? What's in the hopper for Jake in the paint the next few yeah, months? I mean, it's been an awesome summer. I'm working with Cerebro and we're doing a lot of great things over there. So be on the lookout as I kind of referenced. I'm writing a little recap on FIBA, kind of opening it with some of the philosophical points about team construction and, and context that we talked about on this pod and then diving into a few players that really caught the eye on not a long form perspective, but throwing some clips and some evaluation in there. And then I'm off to Peach Jam, which I'm incredibly excited about. Big bucket list uh, thing for me. So we're going to have some roundtable recaps and then uh, hopefully early August-ish, going to have a big long form summer recap uh, of all the circuits, which I'm looking forward to. Good. Just pro tip there on Peach Jam. Make sure you get your hotel far in advance if you you haven't I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. So I've heard, <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard Augusta isn't exactly the friendliest place. I, I rental cars and hotels in advance. So mm-hmm. uh, as you yeah. always should, that's a veteran move there, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Thank well, thank you, you so much again for, for joining us here and, and chatting USA basketball. Uh, looking forward to seeing these guys continue to grow over the next couple of years. And, and I'm sure you and I will both be not just putting out words on them on the internet somewhere, but collaborating together in the future, trying to, to follow these prospects through their journey. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you all, Hoopaholics, for being here and listening. It's been a fantastic time because we are banning the take foul. Everything <laughs> that we have been asking for for the last year. But uh, again, thank you for all. Actually, the charge, the charge next. We, we got to make some. We got to make some tweaks on the charge. But I take foul, great. Yeah, take, take a great step done. in the right I'll, direction. I'll move on to the next crusade. I was working, <laughs> I was working a camp today, and uh, we're I was chatting with uh, a couple of guys who were um, you know working the camp there that are current college players. And one of the things I says as a basketball coach, I have two things I don't understand at all: what is a charge and what is a travel. Because at the youth basketball levels in high school in particular, like nobody calls anything consistently and referees won't explain what anything is. So like, I struggle knowing how to exactly teach this stuff. I teach the old fundamentals of the way that I was taught and the way that I think, mm-hmm. I think things are, but at the end of the day, there's so much room for interpretation. I think my first one is going to be the charge. I think let's settle the take foul and make the game yeah. clean. Now we've done that. Let's tackle the charge and make sure that we're not rewarding defenders for flopping on their ass way too many times. And then after that, we can clean up what the travels are and how the game is called on that end. And then, and then I'm good. Speaking of travels, um, FIBA traveling rules, very interesting. And uh, Americans specifically had a lot of trouble with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, for those of you who don't um, know, I think what is, the rule is your back, the ball has touched the ground before your back foot. Mm-hmm. touches the ground so i guess I'm, this is terrible podcasting but like in a in the american in, in america you can kind of go one two then put the ball down but in a few of the balls come down before your second foot and uh boy did the americans get called for a lot of those on either standstill drives attacking closeouts you name it every player um which was fascinating to watch and Jake, they were all travels, if you ask me. But that again, we'll we'll do. Oh, with- under 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 the FIBA rules, absolutely, yeah. Uh, we'll. Uh, I, I think that they should be called travels here too. Yeah. But again, let's deal with the charge first. So, <laughs> one uh, one one flawed rule at a time. Yeah, I guess that's our little epilogue here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But again, Jake, thank you. Always good talking with you. I know we'll do this again soon. Enjoy your absolutely. summer. Enjoy Peach Jam. And uh, yeah, just uh, enjoy these moments before you get back to school in the fall. Thank you, man. You too. All right. See you.